0: Hey, Chief. Hey,
1: Zach. How's your Monday going? You know what? It's going fast. I, this whole daylight savings time thing—it <laughs> uh, came early and it's moving quickly.
0: Oh, I'm with you on that. I know. It's like slow down, day, slow down.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Thanks for doing this.
1: Oh, hey, you're welcome. It's a pleasure. And thank you, by the way, for doing the um, the uh, tribute to Sergeant Harnett that you did in the city. It was it was absolutely beautiful. You're very talented.
0: Thank you very much, Chief. Yeah, it was, uh, it was an honor to do that.
1: Yeah. I thought it was great. I, I don't know how I spotted it. Um, maybe you tagged uh, Calgary Police Service or something. I did, yes. Yeah. I remember spotting it there and thinking, wow, I wonder who did this? I'd like to say thanks. And then I, you reached out.
0: <laughs> and here we are today.
1: <laughs> here we are today.
0: <laughs> so first things first is I wanted to get started and maybe ask you is, how did you get started in all of this? Becoming and a chief? I- becoming a part of the service
1: or are you talking policing generally Policing in general yeah well you know actually policing generally was quite by accident I think there are many people who grow up and they would tell you that they kind of always knew they wanted to be a police officer from a very young age that wasn't me actually Mm. Um, I grew up in a small town in Alberta with uh, 500 people and I didn't you know what honestly through high school and stuff I wasn't really sure um, what I wanted to do and I remember driving around the day after my graduation party, and everybody seemed to have it so together, you know, uh, you know, in the, in the yearbook and stuff. People, all everybody knew what they wanted to do, and I just wasn't certain. Um, and I remember having a bit of a crisis of identity there, thinking, "Well, why does everybody else got this figured out and I don't?" Um, but you know what? I started leaning towards uh, becoming a fish and wildlife officer was what I wanted to do. Mm. And through a, a coworker, a boss of mine that was a mentor. Um, she hooked me up with her brother who lived in Lethbridge, and I was able to move in uh, with these folks because they'd rented a house going to college in Lethbridge. And there was three uh, fellows that were there already, and they were in the law enforcement program. Uh-huh. And I was in the, um, the environmental science program. But by the by, I ended up sort of mixing with their, um, you know, their friends, the social group and whatever. And I started to develop an interest in law enforcement. And the two weren't so different, really, in in many ways. And so ultimately, I ended up uh, after college uh, volunteering for the RCMP. And at some point, I just thought, man, if I could actually do this job that I'm volunteering at as my real job, and then volunteer at this other job that I have now that I liked as well, I'd switch it in a second. And so ultimately, I did switch.
0: Interesting. Wow. And then did you start at the Calgary Police Service? Or were you hopping around Canada? Oh,
1: so you know what, I I started in 1992. Okay. And as I said, funny, the funny story here is, I grew up in a town of 500 people, yeah. so very small rural town, not even as so much as a, as a stoplight in town. Yeah. And um, I was uh, volunteering for the RCMP. And so I'd applied to the RCMP, but I, I wasn't having success. And so I got a very good piece of advice from the detachment commander at the time who told me like, we think you'd be a great you know, fit for the RCMP right. and we encourage you to keep trying. But in the meantime, if you want to do this job and serve the community, then don't get hung up on the color of the shirt. Just get in and you can move around after. So with the closest uh, center um, was Edmonton. And I was taking some courses actually in uh, Grant McEwan College in Edmonton at the time. Oh, yes, yeah. And I saw a post for uh, the Vancouver Police Department. They were doing a recruiting um, mm. tour, I guess, out there. And uh, anyway, I, I went through that process, and I got hired by the Vancouver Police. So I actually started my career in 1992 in, in the city of Vancouver.
0: Now, how did you work your way up to become chief of our city?
1: Oh boy, uh, <laughs> that's a journey. Sure I, I'm not sure if I can put my uh, if I can put my finger on what exactly yeah. the and turning points were along the way, because you know, to be honest with you, um, I really sort of wanted to be a um, a sergeant. Like when I started out, I thought, boy, it'd be great to be a sergeant. I'd like to supervise. And I, I liked um, the idea of working with the frontline police officers. And that's kind of was my aspiration. But I think what happens over time is, you know, if you're committed to the community and if you work well with people and you and you maintain a good reputation, um, you know, ultimately people come to you and say, hey, you know, you do this job quite well. Um, would you consider doing this job? And ultimately, I think it's mentors and coaches and people that come to you along the way and say, you know what? Like you're doing a really good job where you are, and I, I see you as being somebody who could perform in this other role. And so, really, I think it's it's been other people, other mentors, and and other leaders who have prompted me to step into um, different roles over the years. And ultimately, how I became uh, chief is uh, is kind of a bizarre, long story.
0: Yeah. Now that you are chief, has it been uh, one heck of an experience, and what you thought it was going to be like?
1: Um, you know what? So I, ha- I was fortunate to, after I left Vancouver, I was in Edmonton um, for 24 mm. years. So similar sized organization. Yeah. And then um, I left Edmonton in 19, or sorry, 2017. Right. I became the chief in Camrose. So smaller city, but certainly uh, a, a different environment in the sense that not as many people slept in the city overnight, but the city of Camrose was a was a hub for a large rural area, probably a quarter of a million people, uh, in the in the rural, you know, basically agricultural uh, field, and so that was a that was a a great opportunity to sort of cut my teeth and see what being the chief of police was like. And so what I found there was I was highly highly accountable um, because if the people in the community didn't like something, they would obviously catch me at the grocery store. <laughs> You're very accessible in that environment, right? And so people wouldn't hesitate to come and, and speak to you about uh, the things that were on their mind, and the same was true of the employees. Uh, same sort of thing. You're very accessible to them, and so if they want to ask a question about, you know, why did you make this decision, or what about this, or how did how did this happen, um, they'll come and ask you. And I think the great thing for me there was it was um, a very strong connection to the people consuming the service of the police, so the community. And then also a very strong connection to the people who were delivering the service so the members and the civilian employees and so for me it was very grounding and it was like i say, i felt very accountable and very connected to the work and you could you could see and feel the difference and so i i got to cut my teeth there and then i when i came to calgary i thought some of those very same things staying connected closely with the community and staying connected closely with the officers and our and our civilian employees is very very important um, and then, of course, we ran into uh, the pandemic and some of the issues that we've seen, uh, which is some of that a little bit difficult. So, if anything, I think that's been the biggest challenge of of my tenure in Calgary has has largely been the pandemic and how that has shut things down and 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 sort of impeded some of those communications and connections.
0: I can't even imagine where to start or where you start through this pandemic. I mean, being a chief in today's time is it's challenging. I'm sure. With everything that's happened, especially last year and all the ups and downs, how do you find a way to keep you know, civilians calm, keep your team calm, and still maintain some level of sanity? <laughs> yeah.
1: you know, it has been, it's been really interesting um, because this was a very demanding job mm-hmm. um, in the beginning. So when I started in June of 2020, um, 20, prior to the pandemic, it was an extremely demanding job in that my own personal leadership style is to be visible and accessible and try to connect with the employees, to be out, to be seen, to go on, go on uh, shifts and, and thing with uh, the employees, and also to attend functions in the community, community events, and to be seen and connected out there as well. So that can actually take up a lot of your evenings and a lot of the weekends. And so it was demanding in that sense. Uh, when the pandemic hit and a lot of those things shut down, the community events and stuff sure. have really been um, largely become a thing in the past, except the ones that have now gone virtual. Um, it was uh, I thought, okay, things are gonna really slow down and for a little while they did. Um, but then to your point about how do you how do you keep people calm and reassured, there began to be a higher need to use um, um, virtual platforms and still to get out to the employees. I mean, it, it looks much different now than it used to. Um, and even to get out in small groups, when when we're able to do that for coffee, uh, uh, co- uh, parking lot coffees and stuff like that, socially distanced with key partners and when there's issues. Um, so it actually, it slowed down for a little bit, but then just the need to be able to communicate in various different ways and for having the employees to be able to hear from you became a much higher need. And so I found, I found that it was demanding And then there was a lull. And then when we realized this was gonna last for a while, Mm -hmm. uh, in equally demanding, but in different ways.
0: Oftentimes people think police officers are not humans. You know, we see them in uniform and say, oh, they're not human, which they are. And how does some officer deal with the mental struggles or is mental health a huge factor right now with what's going on in the service?
1: You know what? Police officers are definitely human. Um, They, I can tell you that they basically are representative of our community. Mm -hmm. The folks that we have in the police service here are very much, you know, largely neighbors and coaches and parents, and they're just normal people in your community. And they're people who actually stepped forward to um, serve the community in this capacity. And so um, i think sometimes when we put on the uniform sometimes people see us as a little less accessible and somehow that we're different but i, I got to assure you that the folks are, are really uh, at their core they're just members of the community like all of us but you know during times like the pandemic here um, it has been challenging because you know when we heard initially the the prevailing health advice about what was safe is for us to stay home uh work from home if you can you know limit your your um, contact with people and that sort of thing that's the way yourself safe. Well, obviously, for a variety of frontline workers, including police, that wasn't an option for them. So we had to find a way to adapt the type of services that you provide to the community while trying to follow that public health guidance. So, you know, there was a lot of great work done by our members to adapt the services to either do it by phone, um, you saw barriers installed in, you know, in, in different places where people had to interact, um, there was um, you know, the, the use of uh, personal protective equipment and the following of, of the guidance and that sort of thing to limit risk. But the, the reality of it is the nature of the business is such that if somebody's you know struggling with mental health or you have to arrest them and they're not going to be cooperative, you're going to have to get within two meters and you're going to have to actually be able to um, to uh, interact with them. And in it, the circumstances are going to be dynamic, and you know, masks can get bumped aside and whatever. And also, some of the people that we're dealing with aren't necessarily following the public health restrictions. You know, when I think about um, some of the protests and stuff like that, people don't wear masks because they don't believe in it. In other other cases, maybe people aren't hand washing and things. So, so the, the risks are there, and I think people's personal and professional lives have both been upended. And you know, mm-hmm. think back to previous crises that we deal with. So. If you think, you know, in a Calgary context, uh, you know, the floods of 2013, 2013 yeah, you know, we kind of know what to do when that happens. It doesn't impact our whole city. It impacts the area around the river and stuff like that. So there are places that are not impacted that you can work from and it's better understood. The crisis is better understood and we can understand how we can work through it. And it has a more defined beginning and an end. This pandemic has not had that everywhere is impacted. And there has been no. Well, it may have been a defined beginning, but there certainly has not been a defined endpoint. And there's been so much changing as we went through it. Um, so I think that's been a real challenge, and I think that has challenged people's mental health.
0: In the service, have you seen a lot more struggles and challenges come up in terms of mental health and mindset?
1: So we have some really strong programs in the police service for our employees um, to be able to have supports uh, in terms of mental health and and counseling and and any of these types of things. Right in the beginning, when the pandemic first started, we saw a pretty big dip in people accessing those services, and I think we attribute that to um, some of our clinicians and service providers um, working from home and then transitioning to like an online platform for uh, appointments. And so, you know, initially, I think a lot of people thought, "Well, that's not going to be quite as engaging. I would sooner be sitting in the same room with you right now, having on, <laughs> instead of having it over um, Zoom." And so I think people put off um, the appointments initially. So we saw initially a drop. And then again, after a period of time when people realized that, you know, we were going to be in this for a while, then we saw uh, people um, gravitate towards some of the online platforms and to, um, again, uh, re-engage with services. And so now we've seen a bit of an increase. And I would say the increase has probably been in the last quarter or so Mm -hmm. as the pandemic has stretched on. And we definitely have seen an increase for sure.
0: Have you seen a rise in career opportunities with the service?
1: A bit surprising uh, in that way. Uh, So we have had uh, a larger than expected number of retirements and resignations uh, since the pandemic started. Now, let me tell you why that is. In 2020, there was changes to the province's pension plan that the police officers participate in. And so there was a, an opportunity where as of April 1st, there was going to be a change. And so anybody who wanted to leave the plan um, at that point had to do it before April 1st. So we had actually 33 individuals um, leave the organization because of that change in the plan. Um, and then in this year, the uh, in 2021, um, city council is removing a benefit a retiring allowance um, for all employees and um, what that's doing is basically prompting people who have enough years to retire, if they're senior employees and they can retire, they're more likely to go in 2021 than, than, than they would have had otherwise because they wanna take advantage of the last year of that benefit. So as a result of that, this year we've seen an increased number two. So as a result of that, that has actually surprisingly created quite a few opportunities in terms of uh, promotions and lateral opportunities. Inside the police service, so yeah, I would say I would say that even though you would think that that wouldn't be the case, um, it kind of has. It, it hasn't really been COVID that's done it; it's been other things that have happened simultaneous to COVID.
0: Chief Constable, how do you separate work and your personal life?
1: Oh, interesting question. Um, that's a I find that's a hard thing to do, um, and so here's here's what I do to maintain, um, I guess. Um, some semblance of of separation, if I can. Number one is I I I don't try to separate my days or my work week into you know five eight hour days or whatever it is because I know that in this job I will have certain um, uh, responsibilities after hours and on the weekend and that sort of thing. So what I really try to do is is look at the week ahead of time and then figure out where my um, you know my my time off might be where I can connect with family or, or friends or that sort of thing. And sometimes it's not you know Saturday evening or whatever that it is for many other people. Mm-hmm. And so I, I have to look more holistic at my schedule, recognizing that you know, the schedule can be demanding. The other, the other thing that's very challenging about this job is of course, um, the police service never stops. So in many jobs, um, you work from eight in the morning until five at night, Monday to Friday. And then at the end of the, at five o'clock at night, everything's quiet again until everybody comes back to work the next day. In the police service, it's not like that. We go 24, seven, 365. So with the number of interactions that are going on between police officers in the city all the time and the, and the number of uh, challenges and risks that we face just by nature of the work that we do, um, you know, things happen and I will get phone calls at any time of the day or night. So to your, to your point there, it, it is very difficult um, to completely separate the two I'm very fortunate that I have a supportive partner because if I didn't have that, I think it would be really, really challenging. And the other thing is we have great people. And so um, when I'm going to go for a dinner for my anniversary or an occasion, uh, I I can hand off that responsibility to other members of the team and and I'm free to be able to do that. So I'm grateful for that too.
0: As a chief, are you able to ever travel? If say we didn't have the pandemic right now and you wanted to go away to Mexico for a week, are you allowed to do that?
1: Yeah, I am. So I, I'm I'm sort of always in contact, uh, never fully out of contact. But what I do actually, Zach, is uh, if I'm going to travel internationally or away for a vacation, I will put somebody else up, uh, one of the deputy chiefs up as the acting chief. And so realistically, it's it's not so much me personally, it's the position, somebody's in the position. So if something comes up, that the chief needs to know about, that person finds out, and then I will uh, get notified of all the things that happened when I come back home.
0: No, I just can't imagine.
1: Do you sleep lightly, Chief? Um, <laughs> sometimes more lightly than others, I can yeah. tell you. Uh, I think for me, uh, it just depends what's going on. I, you know, I've been doing this for quite some time, so um, I, I think one of the most important things is is as you grow as a leader and you mature over time, you realize that for the sake of the organization and, frankly, for the sake of yourself. Um, you can't be, you know, particularly reactive to everything that happens because a lot happens. So you can't take the organization on these wild mm-hmm. swings based on politics or or anything like that. You want to try and keep things as steady as possible for people while still taking seriously and dealing with issues that come up. So I, you know, I like I say, I really try not to be this person. You know, there's it might be it might be a little bit, but there's it, it, I try not to make uh, wild swings. Um, and so if you can compartmentalize a little bit i guess then you can sleep a little bit better
0: when you're going through these phases where there's like say a crime and then no crime and crime again or issues like you said political issues how do you stay calm is it meditation is it something that you do to kind of level yourself and ground yourself what do you do exactly
1: well for me i like to make sure that my um Work is not the only thing that I do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: it's very it's very important to me to have some balance in my life with respect to time spent with family, time spent with our children. Um, I like to read. Uh, also for me, uh, physical activity has always been very important. I find that um, I can sort of stay calmer and just more grounded um, when I'm exercising. And so sometimes things are really busy, and I'll know when I get away from my exercise routine, so even if it's, I love cycling, I love running and that sort of thing, but I will, I will be able to feel it um, pretty soon if I'm, if I'm off of my uh, schedule. Um, and so I really try quickly to get back on, but I find that um, making sure that I'm healthy, make sure that each day that, you know, I'll be able to continue mm-hmm. doing what I need to do and I'll have the strength and stamina to do it. So I really try to stay connected to um, keeping balance in my life with all of those things. Mm-hmm. And I, when I do that, things just go much better than when I'm right. focused on work alone.
0: This past year did, did did you get some fear or anxiety ever? Just like everyone else? Yeah.
1: Yes, for sure. I think the past year was uh was a, a really interesting example of when you would get that because as I say having having done this work for a long time, I've seen some of the, you know, the challenges that come up uh, in this job and some of them are predictable. You know what wasn't predictable was was something like a pandemic. What was predictable was the um, the uh, murder of George Floyd and the the uh, worldwide protests. You know when people were actually protesting the police. Um, Some of these were significant disruptive events uh, that were occurring simultaneously, and so there really was in that in that uh, process there really was no manual that anybody had for how how to manage this. I think it's fair. Like there's lots of times. Um, you know, my messaging to our people was basically just that, you know what, we've got a great team, we've got great people, we're not necessarily going to get this right, because things are changing, we're going to have to keep moving, we're going to make decisions using the very best information we have right now, and if they don't turn out to be right, then we're just going to change them. And I think people, um, I think people connected to that message of hopefulness, that at least you know what, yes, that's right, we are strong, we we will go forward, we understand what's happening we're going to, we're going to meet the challenges and we're going to deal with this in a, uh, uh, with integrity. Um, but yeah, we're not going to get it right every time. And I think that took pressure off of other people too, who felt too, like, boy, there's no manual. I don't know if I'm going to get this right. And we said, you know, you're probably not. And that's okay.
0: And we were so used to always trying to go by the book and get everything right. (laughs) Now it's just free for all.
1: Well, it has been. And I, and I know that, um, you know, I, I looked at some of the other people that you've had on the program, on the podcast and think of how they've had to adapt their business and how uncertain the environment has been for them as well. And so I think that, you know, it's certainly not it's not been without its challenges, but I'm, I'm actually really amazed at folks and, and the resilience of people and what they've been able to do to continue uh, moving forward in these uncertain times.
0: If we had a third lockdown, I don't know how many businesses will survive now.
1: <laughs> you know what? I, I don't know. I uh, can tell you that uh, we were out on the weekend and of course it's beautiful and it's spring and that sort of thing. And uh, you can see that people just want to be outside and want to resume some semblance of normalcy. And, and we totally understand that. I think um, as your police service, we feel it too. And as, as like I said before, like Calgarians, our officers feel it too. Everybody's I think in the same place. This has been a long haul.
0: Now chief, what are these um, on your badges right here? What are these, uh, I guess on the left side? yeah. Um,
1: all oh, the colour? Uh, so yeah. these are actually what they call ribbons. Ribbons, yeah. Oh, so there's uh, each one that's a different color is actually uh, a me- like a medal uh, or a um, an honor that's been mm-hmm. owed over time, and so yeah, each one represents a different thing. For instance, um, this red one that you see, that's uh, the Queen's uh, Jubilee Medal. Yes, yeah. And then the one over here is the it's a long service medal. It's issued by the province. Okay. And what happens is um, you get it at 20 years and then on your 25th year, you'll get the, the, you can see the bronze uh, uh, clasp there. Um, so yeah. So each one of these is actually a different, a different metal in policing and also community service. That's where these come from.
0: How does the community and its officers, I guess, work together or, I guess reduced the fear of knowing one another, because we see that a
1: lot. Well, I think we have heard that a lot um, mm-hmm. especially since the summer. and so I, I can tell you that the Calgary Police Service um, has, historically, had a great uh, community-based policing model, uh, a model of delivering services that sort of focuses on community engagement and not just showing up after something bad has happened. But actually engaging with the community in positive ways, proactively to prevent uh, crime from happening in the first place, but also to be connected uh, to understand culture. So to attend community events and that sort of thing and celebrations in in all the various communities. And so the service has always been uh, really, really, it's prided itself on that. But I think what we saw this summer was that, you know, quietly over the last number of years, we've increased the diversity, of course, uh, in the city of Calgary, such that we're actually the third most diverse city in Canada right now, and so it's clear that we were hearing feedback from some communities, basically saying there were there were fears, people were didn't feel like they were connected to the police, and there and there were fears of police, and so it was really important for us to be able to say you know we we had sort of sat back because for years and years and years the the police commission has done a um, a um, community satisfaction survey or a citizen satisfaction survey. And historically, the police services have scored very high marks. So in fact, plus 90, 94, 95% um, supportive. So it's pretty easy to think, well, actually, no, we're, we're doing a great job. Well, what we heard this summer is, you know what, we have some work yet to do. And there's been some changes in the environment. Mm-hmm. So like I say, it's been very important not to um, push away from the table or not be defensive about what we heard, but rather actually, this has been a time to lean in. Um, to those communities and spend some time listening to those voices that we hadn't heard um, and understand where the gaps might be. And like I say, we have such a strong foundation of working with the community that I'm confident that we'll be able to uh, make the connections we need to, and then continue to move forward. And, and uh, like I say, I, uh, it, it was, it was, it was a bit of a shock, I think for everybody, but it was a good wake up call for us in case we were becoming complacent. And like I said, I'm fully confident that we'll be able to make those connections and move forward in a positive way. Mm -hmm.
0: Chief Constable, how does the officers and the civilians of Calgary connect with one another in regards to the things they do every day? Because we don't see the good often that officers do. We see, oh my god, an officer, I don't know, push someone down or, or whatnot. We don't see, hey, that officer actually came down the next day and brought us lunch.
1: Well, there's, there's so much of that good going on, Zach. Um, you know, we maybe have to do a better job of telling those stories. And I think sometimes, I was sitting the other day and I, I get uh, daily, a um, the mail comes in and I daily get a stack of compliments for officers. And I actually tweeted on social media about it the other day. Um, sometimes you just have to smile at the great work that's being done and be really, really proud of the work that's happening. But nobody gets to see that. And so that's why I thought, you know what, I'm putting this out on social media uh, in that case, it was a, an elderly couple who were in their home at night, and somebody broke into their home, believe it or not, in the middle of the night, extremely frightening. Um, anyway, they just talked about how scared they were. Never been through anything like that before. Um, the, uh, the wife had locked herself in the bathroom. She told me she's 87 years old, locked herself in the bathroom and called 911. And her husband, who was 91, stayed out because he thought he would have to protect her. And I, I could hear the fear in their voices when I talked to them on the telephone and just said, listen, I'm really, really sorry this happened to you. And, but all they could talk about was how, how, um, how relieved they were when the police got there and arrested the, the suspect right in their home. And uh, then a few days later, a number of members from the district came out with a bouquet of flowers and stuff to see them. And, and you know, it, it takes a really, really scary situation. It, it doesn't take it away or make it better, but it certainly actually changes it a little bit. And they understood how much people cared. Uh, a very human thing to do. We need to do a better job of publicizing those things because, of course, those aren't the things that end up on the front page of the paper. It will be the situations where somebody pushed somebody down, as you say, or, or something negative happens. So, I think sometimes we we hear about the negative. Um, I, I often tell people when they when I have an opportunity that the Cal- members of the Calgary Police Service have like literally hundreds of thousands of interactions with Calgarians, mm-hmm. here. and out of those interactions in a very, very small, not even like it's point zero, like a, a point, uh, a, a fraction of one percentage, is there any use of force used? And in the even, even less cases than that, is there a complaint that comes from the community about force? So, you know, I, I'm not suggesting for a second that we always get it right individually or collectively. We know that's not the case, but certainly um, our folks are out there having a positive impact. And if you talk to them and ask them why they do it, they say a couple things. One, they want to help people and the second is they want to make a positive difference and they do both yeah
0: because oftentimes we'll see like i said the negative or what we'll see is someone kneeling beside some kids at some charity event with a thumbs up and that's it i think these stories need to get out there there's so many it's of them right. yeah
1: there he is you're right
0: and the officers don't even want it out there but they do it out of the goodness of their heart their their own money hard-earned money and they provide this for people yeah
1: it's funny you say that because we had, you may remember the one uh, story from, I think probably back around Christmas time or maybe a little bit before where the officers from one district helped that gentleman who was down on his luck and uh, bought him some groceries and that type. And there was, and it wasn't the officers that brought it forward. In fact, we would have never known about that except for a citizen saw and took a photo and sent it in. And so the officers actually didn't really want that posted out there. But there are so many, there was another fellow that was down on his luck as well, that came from, it was another city it escapes me which one, but he ended up in Calgary trying to get back home uh, to see uh, family in Ontario. And the officers used their own money and got him some ID so he could get a, uh, a uh, plane ticket and back on the plane and back out to see his family. And again, these are things that they do, uh, because of the motivation to serve and to make that positive difference. And they're not looking for accolades. And that is one of the challenges of getting the positive stories out there is a lot of times they would just assume not say anything. Yeah.
0: Isn't that a beautiful person though, just in general, that they're not doing it for a show, they're not doing it for anything, they're doing it for themselves, yeah, the goodness, yeah.
1: yeah. I think so too, it's the epitome of, I think a, a sort of pure motivation mm-hmm. for uh, it. Honestly, as I said before, policing doesn't get everything right but I think, at its very best, it is basically the the, the epitome of the best we are, or the best of all of us, and and the best we can be. It
0: goes back to that saying earlier: we are all human.
1: Exactly, hundred percent. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Now, Chief Constable, when you look at the organization, is your role to look at it more from a business standpoint and say how do we figure out where where we're lacking, where we're losing marketing versus what?
1: You know, I, yeah, yes, I think the answer to that is yes, it is. But I think the magic happens when you look at it through a business lens, because, you know, at, at its core, the police service is a corporation. It's a business like, uh, like any other. I think that one of the things that we can never do, the leaders can never do, is forget that these are real people. So I'll often say, as a matter of fact, we had a brand new recruit class this morning. And so myself and the deputies started our day today down in the recruit class, welcoming new officers to training. And I said, you know what? We're very. You know, I don't want to sound trite when I say that our people are our most important asset because, some, you know, like many many companies say that, many employers do. But the reality of it for us is, we don't sell anything. We don't make products. We actually deliver important services to Calgarians. Sometimes when they're at their absolute worst point in life or lowest point in life, and we get that done through the people that work for us. And so if we don't if we don't look after those people. And make sure that they're at their best and they're supported, then how can we really expect them to give that that of service to Calgarians? So it really is it really is true when I say um our people are our, our most important asset and we need to treat them like that.
0: Is there new tools or resources for officers joining the force or that are on the force or service right now that are dealing with issues of mental health and well being?
1: You know, I think I I guess I wouldn't suggest that there is uh well, let me, let me actually compartmentalize that question into two sort of areas. One is um, uh, for their own wellness, I think the programs and the tools and stuff are really high quality and they have been there. The key and where I think we're making some progress is there was a time back uh, in years gone by where I think there was a real stigma attached to accessing those services. If you were a police officer, you sort of feel like you're somebody who helps people and you're not somebody who should have your own problems and sh- who should actually need help. So it's hard sometimes, I think, for police to, to uh, I guess, acknowledge that they, they need the help that we all need from time to time. Um, but I think by the by, that's, that's, um, uh, that's um, diminishing that stigma. And I think, you know, things like talking about issues and Bell Let's Talk days and just being open about the fact that we all struggle and we all need supports from time to time. We're all human. I think that's, that's been really helpful. Um, when you're talking about new programs and, and new innovation, on the part of uh, police officers responding to situations where people are experiencing uh, crisis, there's some really cool things coming, emerging, like virtual reality technology. I think for the young people that are watching the podcast, um, stuff like you know the goggles where you actually interact, it's like an immersive experience where you actually deal with somebody who's having a mental health crisis, and you're able to continue to talk and the dialogue and the de-escalation, um, it's actually really, really cool. And it's something that's, um, it's, it, it, because it's so real, I think it's extremely impactful training. So I think it actually has, um, it's stuff that people remember when they go through it.
0: Is there some new technologies coming out that other than that, that you guys have been working on or looking
1: at? Yeah, that's probably the, the big one or the most recent one is the virtual reality stuff. And I think into the future, that's something that, that we're going to see more and more of.
0: And Super cool. Now, what's one of your favorite books out there, Chief?
1: Oh, you know what? I'm a reader, so I like all kinds of things. Yeah, um, I've, I've gone back a number of times. Um, well, I should say most recently, probably one of the favorite books I've read during the pandemic here is uh, Good to Great by Jim Collins. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another uh, book that uh, I read. It's called Decisive by Chip and Dan Heath. Chip and Dan Heath have written a number of books, but that's uh, been my favorite. I like the Malcolm Gladwell stuff. You can tell I like a lot of, uh, I'm not so much into the uh, the fiction stuff. Um, a lot of it is sort of business books and that type of thing. Um, Culture Code is another one that I've read recently as well by a fellow by the name of, I believe it's Daniel Coyle.
0: Have you heard of The Shadow Effect?
1: The Shadow Effect, I think so. Keep talking
0: Oh, it's so good! I love self-help books. So, the shadow effect is about our pretty much our shadow that we keep in a box and we don't open up. Sometimes those are the skeletons and the demons that we must face. Otherwise, it just follows us around like a shadow, and it's it, it draws on us. So,
1: who who who, re, uh, who wrote that one?
0: Um, Deepak Chopra is in
1: it. Oh, okay.
0: Um, Marianne, I can't remember her last name. But there's a there's four authors in that one book.
1: Oh, okay. I'll, well, I'll make a note of that after we're done speaking there and put that on my reading list i try to actually read every year i set a goal to read 12 books a year uh, i try to read one a month i can tell you last year i didn't get there i maybe had six but uh i'm back to, back to 12.
0: good good are you seeing crime increase in terms of break-in enters
1: yeah so well here's the thing so those like crime generally um have been on the increase mm-hmm. and i That same can be said for all major cities in the country. Uh, And then the pandemic hit in 2020. When we look at the statistics in 2020, um, they will be anomalous, and they'll be anomalous for years. And I'll tell you why. So uh, I think crime, you know, there's a lot of criminological theory around the reasons why crime happens, and some of it has to do with our routine activities. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard of it. Routine activities theory is actually one of the criminological theories, and it basically goes uh that you know when people are going about their daily lives. So for instance, ordinarily during the day, students would be in school, um, you know, adults would be at work. And as a result of that, there's no guardianship around most of the homes. So when you see break-ins, you'll typically see them when the homes are empty. And so those will happen during the day. Um, so something like uh, COVID that changed our routine activities, uh closed down schools, uh, got people teleworking, working from home. So you can imagine that actually uh, break and enters at uh, residential premises went down quite substantially. Uh, the corresponding thing that happened, of course, though, is while well, businesses were shut down, usually there's people in the businesses, so sometimes they're not as susceptible. Uh, but of course, we had areas of the city, especially in industrial areas, where we knew ahead of time that the the vulnerabilities will go up here. So we ended up developing strategies to try to get in there to prevent break and enters uh, from those businesses while closed. But there's been a lot of things like that because people's routine activities and what they do has changed. It's actually changed what criminals do and it's actually skewed the statistics for 2020. Wow.
0: Now, Chief, before we end our podcast here, I wanted to ask you what someone for you that's been a great partner in your life that makes you excel at what you do?
1: you know what, I, my spouse and I are so different and we talk about that and we celebrate our differences. And I think, you know, sometimes our relationship might actually be easier if we saw the world the very same way, right? Because things would just kind of be more natural, but where, you know, where uh, she has such strong passions and uh, she is, she's so active and that sort of thing. I have a hard time keeping up with her actually, but also just a, just a very, very supportive person who understands, you know, like, well, I guess communication is a really important thing. I was going to say, part of the thing that helps us out is we communicate about things, even taking on um, this role with the Calgary Police Service. Before we did that, we decided that this would be something we would do together, understanding what some of the challenges would be. And so she actually um, made changes in her personal, or sorry, her professional life, um, to sort of scale back, knowing that I would have to scale up And so that she would be able to take on some extra responsibility um, at home around around some of the things that keep our personal life moving and keeping connected with the kids and and that sort of thing. And so just being able to communicate with one another, and there's times where I look for opportunities to be able to step in to help her because I know how much she helps me, and she makes that decision to do that. And like I say, we we can complement one another, and again, we view the we view the world and many things quite differently, and so her perspective on things always adds value to the way I might be um, perceiving it. And she says vice versa. She's probably actually being uh, kind to me, but uh, I, th- I think you know we are, we are quite different. And like I say, that it doesn't always make it easy, but I think at the end of the day, that does bring better outcomes when we when we you know stop to make sure that we consult one another and get those other perspectives. Um, I think uh, she's very much an, an extrovert. I'm very much an introvert. So when we go out, she will, in, in a social setting, she will often sort of take the lead on um, the social stuff because she feels much more comfortable than I do. Um, so, yeah, so I think it's just very complimentary.
0: Do you think that introvert came from being from a small town and a little
1: shy at times? or You know, perhaps. Um, it might be, you know, when I look at my my parents and their personalities and stuff, you wonder... Sort of how much of that was, uh, you know, nature versus nurture. I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. But I but I do know that for me, I've had to be a forced extrovert for aspects of my job. But I can tell you that when I have to do, you know, lots of public speaking or be out in front and center and things, that, that type of thing exhausts me over time. I've got to rest after that. I recharge with quiet and reading and running. And-
0: <laughs> Hopefully uh, the podcast didn't exhaust you today.
1: No, actually, the podcast has been great. Thanks for what you're doing, Zach. I think uh, it's it's really great. I think the discussions, the diverse topics that uh, you uh, um, bring to light there and the great people you've had on there, I, I think it's actually really great.
0: Yeah. Thank you for your time today, Chief Constable.
1: Thank you very much, and I, I wish you well, and hopefully we'll see you somewhere in real life soon.
0: Yes, chat soon. Nice to see you again. Yeah.
1: All, all the best to you.